Hello, and finally, finally, welcome back to Wednesday Night Wrestling, hosted by the Middle-Aged Mark. It has been a couple of weeks, but finally, I'm back with a podcast. This isn't just going to be about AEW on Wednesday night, and unfortunately, I really didn't get around to much of NXT, but I'm also going to be doing some predictions for Full Gear, which when I'm recording this is uh, Saturday morning. Full Gear is going to be taking place later this evening. So I'll also be doing uh, my my predictions for the show coming off of the recap from the Go Home show on Wednesday night. So before we jump into the show, as usual, I just want to start out by saying that you can find this podcast where most podcasts can be found. So you can find me on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, and the original location, which is Launchpad by Podcast One. So please like, listen, subscribe. And also you can follow me on Twitter at W Knight Wrestling. That's W Knight, that's N-I-T-E Wrestling on Twitter. So please go ahead, hit me up there. Always looking for new followers and really engaging with everyone out in the internet wrestling community. So let's jump in to Wednesday night. So I just want to say I was considering doing the side-by-side viewing, which I had been doing for, for the first few episodes. I did find that was incredibly difficult to really pay deep attention to both shows. I was going to go back and watch NXT because I was really torn at the very opening. So I did have the both going. I had my iPad uh, playing NXT on USA, and uh, on the big screen, I had AEW uh, Dynamite on TNT. Here, on the one hand, you have the OC invading NXT. I am a huge AJ Styles fan going back to the earliest days of TNA. Big fan of AJ and his entire run everywhere he went, from ROH to New Japan to WWE. Here he is with Anderson and Gallows. This is awesome. What a great piece of business to have them in there. But on the other hand, and this is where I want to talk a little bit about AEW and their storytelling and long-term storytelling, you have Trent Beretta, who I'm a big, huge fan of Trent Beretta. I think he's incredibly underrated. I actually think when when best friends are in tag, they're not as good as they can be in singles, uh, singles competition. Trent, in particular, I think is a really, really solid, if not almost exceptional, singles wrestler. And that was starting to happen for him in New Japan when he came back from the injury. He had bulked up, and he was going to be wrestling in the heavyweight division, and he got a shot at Kenny for the uh, U.S. title. It really looked like he was turning that table as well, because it's it's he has the size, he has the look, uh, his sarcastic demeanor. I just think that he really should be a much bigger star than he is. So in the meantime, keeping them as best friends I think is fun, because I think the two, well, the three of them now, uh, so, so Chucky e. T., um, and Orange Cassidy. I think it's a great trio. But I was really torn because here you have Trent having an opportunity to have a singles match with one of probably the finest workers anywhere in the world in, in Pac. Uh, Neville to those who uh, were following him in WWE. I had to watch it. I, I really had to watch it. So I think what everyone unfortunately has taken away from the match is a terrible finish, but let's just get into it a little bit. Um, there wasn't really any personal conflict stuff. And I think that's what's so powerful about what AEW is doing right now. They have these big storylines they're doing, and we'll get into the, the inner circle stuff and Cody, 
but they also have this sporting aspect to it with the rankings and the overall rankings. Um, great to see they have trios. So you have singles, tag, and trios, and you have overall records, and then you have divisional records. It's really being presented as sport. So in the absence of an actual conflict, a personal conflict, you can still have each match mean something, even if there's not a personal issue. Bottom line, Trent Peretta and Pac both want to win because it counts in their record, which makes it meaningful. Sometimes wrestling at its very core is just about fighting for a title or fighting for a title shot or just trying to be the better competitor. That's sport. And that goes back to the earliest days. You go back and you look at, it's probably more so the NWA presentation and AWA presentation than WWE and even WWF as far as the sporting aspect. They've leaned more heavily on the sports entertainment than they have on the sports, I think, in, in the Northeast, WWF in particular. But there were times that you know the traveling champion just went in. Ric Flair, Harley Race, Terry Funk. They would go throughout the territories, and they'd be the top guy. And they would usually be working as a heel, and they would be facing the top babyface in the promotion. Now, obviously, the heel's going to cheat to win. They're going to leave unscathed. They're going to walk out of there with their title, but you just got an awesome main event. The babyface just got put over big time, even in a loss by the, the traveling world champion, but it mattered that they had the title shot. That's what I think is really great about what's happening in AEW right now. So then we get to the finish. So whatever happened, and there's rumor and innuendo. Sorry, gimmick infringement there, comrade. The rumor and innuendo is that the match was changed and the ref either wasn't informed or forgot that it had been changed. So Pac comes down with the, I think he's still calling it what, the red arrow. Hits Trent, should be one, two, three. The ref blatantly stops before counting three when Trent doesn't kick out. Now, every ref should know to hit that three count. If the guy doesn't kick out, he doesn't kick out. The gal doesn't kick out, that's it. It's done. You just let it happen regardless. Because if it's going to be the same finish anyway, if Pac's going over, it doesn't matter if he wins by pinfall or submission. It really doesn't matter. Let the match end. You're done. So here you had a match that could really have been, and we'll use, we'll use Meltzer for an example. Meltzer said that it should be a solid four-star match. I would actually probably put it at 4.25 if you're going to do ratings, and, and I don't. Um, and he says that it's a sub-four match because of the finish. That, to me, is a diminishment to the, the two guys wrestling, but I get it. You, you know, you had a particular story, and you lose that whole suspension of disbelief when the ref takes you out of it. So big bummer. But I am still pleased that I watched that match. I think it was more important to me to watch that match than to watch what was over on, on NXT. Hope this means that Trent will get some more opportunities. He certainly had a tremendous showing against such a quality athlete. So finish aside, it was really awesome to see. So the next order of business is there's a guy who came out by the name of Cody. Cody Rhodes, if you will. Cody Runnels, the son of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Cody is so, so over right now. If you did fantasy booking and he walked out at a WWE event right now, he would be as over as he is in AEW right now. 
because he's had enough national exposure. He's no name. And he's just hitting on all cylinders at this point. He came out and gave what I called on Twitter a Rhodes-level promo. Everyone's talking about the Ellis Island line, but I don't even think it, it matters what he said, to be honest. Because the emotion, eh, the voice cracking aside, I, I hate it when the guys do that. Anyone who's given a promo and they do the kind of, eh, eh, whatever. The overall emotion that was coming out demonstrates how you can go out, cut a promo in 2019 with a crowd. And this is what's so critical to talk about the AEW crowd. These are all smarky marks, smart fans, if you will. Yet they're so invested in the characters, they're so invested in the product that they allow themselves. And I've been to the, to the live events with AEW. You allow yourself to get carried away into the emotion. You cheer for the baby faces, you boo for the heels. And that means that everyone there has a singular purpose, a singular vision of uh, what the storytelling is supposed to be. But you don't get that if it's overly scripted. You don't get that by saying, okay, this is exactly what we're going to tell you when it's so blatantly obvious. Now, everyone knows that they've been building Cody as this big, huge baby face. It's not as though it's not understood. Everyone there knows, but it comes off as much more organic because the talent, they're using their own words. And it makes a difference because it means that their character, as they want to present it, look, they always say, if you can pop the boys or you get an emotional response from the locker room, more often than not, it's going to connect with the crowd. This is different than having writers who are in the writer's room who might pop each other as writers, but they're not looking at it from the perspective of what, what really connects with the fan base. I'm going to theorize on something that we'll never know the answer to. Seth Rollins, when he was Tyler Black over in ROH, and now I'm not really supposed to, I, I've set my own parameters to not really talk about WWE much, just talk about the NXT product when, when applicable. Um, but the whole promo bit, he comes over to AEW and he's allowed to be himself, he would be over right now. Far more over than he would be. As a babyface or as a heel. We've seen him do interviews just as himself. And what is it? Brooke Lopez. Just going out and being himself. I've seen him on Up, Up, Down, Down. I've seen him in all these other areas. Guys who are allowed to just go ahead and cut their own promos are more often than not going to knock it over the park unless they're not a good promo. And back in the day, what would happen is a guy couldn't cut his own promo. He got a manager. So I'd love to see managers come back. AEW really hasn't done that with the exception of Tully Blanchard, which I think is great. But I would love to see some stable being built with a solid manager, bringing back the, the concept of the old Heenan family and Captain Lou or Paul Ellering or J.J. Dillon, what have you. I, I think there's a place for it. So anyway, Cody right now at his absolute best, as I said, Rhodes level promo, hard time levels promo, and he says that if he does not win the title at full gear tonight, that he is going to never compete for the AEW world title again. Now, immediately I thought, 
gosh, there's probably going to be an announcement of a secondary mid-card belt at some point. Turns out, just a couple days after the, the show aired, they did in fact announce a mid-card. So even if Cody does not win, and I don't think he will, but we'll talk about predictions at the end, he'll just compete for a mid-card title and hold it for like a year. I mean, it's not like they're not going to get a title around Cody's waist at some point. Because why would you go ahead and not? However, old school booking 101, certain guys don't necessarily need the title. And given how over Cody is right now, he can go without a title and constantly just be a babyface chasing a heel. Chasing Jericho in this particular case. Whoever it may be. He's going to have some personal blood feuds. You know there's going to be a heel turn of one one character or another. I'll talk about that a little bit too. We know that's going to happen and he's going to be in a personal conflict for a long time. But to think that Cody will never have an opportunity to wrestle for the World Heavyweight title seems a bit far-fetched. But... We'll see how it goes. Predictions coming a little bit later in the podcast. So the next part that I really enjoyed, next uh, next on the show, was a private party versus Dark Order match. And whoever was going to go ahead and win this match was going to be added into the match at full gear for the AEW World Tag Team titles. That will be SCU, Lucha Bros, versus whoever is going to win the private party Dark Order match. What I loved is that SCU was over on commentary. They were over on the English commentary team. And the Lucha Bros were over on the Spanish commentary team. How great is that? Because I don't speak Spanish. I would love to hear their promo and know what they were saying on the Spanish broadcast and how similar or how different their promos are. See, SCU is kind of doing one of those interesting, yeah, they're baby faces. They, they kind of inject some heelisms in there once in a while. I'm curious to, to how much... The Lucha Bros are going into this match as heels and what the commentary is bearing out over on the Spanish uh, the Spanish feed. Really curious about that. One thing that I found odd, though, and I'm going to sound like a middle-aged Mark, and we live in a culture of everybody gets a medal. So the fact that they had the second place and third place and all, all the medals, uh, that didn't do much for me. Um, I don't think there should be consolation prizes. You're either the champion or you're not. Bottom line is SU's the champs. Lucha Bros didn't get it done. Private Party, Dark Order, they didn't make it to the finals. No, not everyone should get a medal. So right now, what I'm understanding by how this all plays out is that Private Party was the third place team. And I think that's fine. And I think they're a lot of fun. But I still have to reiterate their finish makes no sense. Hurricane Rana, off the top, is bringing the guy straight down onto his back. Instead, starts the Hurricane Rana and launches the guy on the top rope forward and out for the cutter. It makes no sense, and I hate it. I love Private Party. Seeing them live, they're so full of energy. They're just, they're really great to see. Their athleticism, the characterization, love it. Oh, Isaiah Cassidy. <laughs> so there's a bunch of folks ripping him on Twitter about the scream. And all I can think of is screaming Norman Smiley over on WCW. I think it's great. It's a lot of fun. When Norman did it, it definitely popped the crowd. Isaiah doesn't get as much because I don't think he reserves it for the right moments. 
I think it should really be only in those moments where maybe he takes some huge bump, like something that is, or he anticipates he's taking something that's a big bump, and it gives him pause and he screams. Otherwise, I think he does it at some random points in the match. It's not as impactful. That's just a psychology thing, not even a psychology thing. That's just a, a learning to work kind of thing, I think, more than anything else. Um, but it's going to be Private Party going over on the Dark Order, who are definitely in this weird spot as far as how the crowd perceives them. I think when they come out, they don't get much of a reaction. They have been able to go ahead and get the crowd into them as the match goes on because they're they're good workers and Stu Grayson does a, a lot of the heavy lifting for the team. They do a lot of really fun stuff. And they can get the crowd engaged. I just don't think anyone cares about these characters. I don't think anyone understands the characters because there really has been no buildup. And I'm going back and trying to look at whether they did anything on, on BTE, whether they did anything on the countdown shows. And I just have no background for these guys. Now, we know they're Super Smash Bros. in Canada. I just don't see anything else about what the Dark Order is now. What is the Dark Order? What is it that they worship? Are they the new? Are they supposed to be the ministry? Or maybe they're the acolytes and there's some other person that's out behind pulling the, the strings. I don't know. But right now, it just doesn't really work for me. So with this win, this moves Private Party to 3-2, and two, while the Lucha Bros are 4-2. and two. And the, the champions, they don't have the record. Um, but I think the last time I checked, SCU was either 4-2 and two as well or 3-2. and two. So all really evenly matched. I think it's going to be a heck of a match. Again, we'll, we'll talk about the uh, predictions in just a little bit. So moving forward, we have what can only be described as perhaps the greatest single package, video package, prepping a map in the history of wrestling. It might be, and that is Chris Jericho's rebuttal video, if you will, to the very emotional, the very powerful Cody Rhodes video from uh, last week, uh, two weeks ago as well. Wow, I just have to say a huge pop for me, Soul Train Jones, otherwise known as Virgil in WWF and Vincent, part of the NWO and WCW, as Soul Train Jones and talking about how he's known Chris Jericho since he was just a boy. It was a comedic, funny take on the background of Chris Jericho, the youngest AEW champion in history. Brilliant. The way that they're playing up Jake Hager being uh, a silent, stoic, killing machine who doesn't say anything in interviews. Awesome. Uh, one of the other podcasters, I think it is just all elite podcast, I apologize if I get it wrong, um, was talking about how Jake Hager is basically the equivalent of Chris Jericho, uh, the equivalent of Camille over in uh, NWA, the, the valet or the bodyguard of Nick Aldis, where she never says anything. I think that's a great comparison, but it also shows that Hager doesn't need to speak. And some have considered, uh, because of, of the way that he speaks, and I believe he has a, a legitimate speech impediment, 
that it sometimes diminished his character, which, by the way, I, I never thought that. I, I thought it was ridiculous. I, I, I don't know. He just always came across as a legit athlete, which he is. Um, which, by the way, somewhere in all this time, he, he either inadvertently or completely on purpose really goes heel in his Bellator match and completely knees the guy in the groin, calling for a no contest. I was actually concerned that, you know, the way that they've been playing him up, if he didn't win the match, it was gonna, it was gonna tarnish what they're building him up to be, which is just a, a destruction machine, right? He's he's just debuted. He's he's the badass on the roster. I should not have been concerned since he went ahead, healed on his opponent. The match gets thrown out, and he still is uh, undefeated in MMA, and just plays up the the whole heel character even more. Except I think he came out to We the People, so they got to figure that out. But anyway, it was a great video package. Uh, Chris Jericho giving giving Sammy Guevara a kiss on the temple. Just ridiculous, funny stuff. And of course, there's uh, uh, Mrs. Bobsky, uh, which is kind of a riff on Clint Bobsky from the South, what is it, Southeast Regional, Southpaw Regional Wrestling. So a nice little homage to that with the, the Bobsky name. Anyway, great stuff. Next match was Rio and Shanna versus uh, uh, Emmy and Jamie Hayter. You know, this is probably one of the. This couldn't come at a better time because the women's division has really taken a big hit. I think that the NXT and just WWE in general, the, the women are much more polished. So you have a lot of women who are coming from uh, the Indies or Japan. And I think that the Japanese workers have more reps under their belt. And I think the indie workers, you know, work is, is fewer than far between. I'm sure there are those who are working every day of the week, but not necessarily with the highest caliber of talent either. So you're only going to become better by being in the ring with those better than you. These four women, I think, are some of the most solid workers. So Emmy's work actually was kind of shockingly sloppy to me. Um, but obviously she has a history with Riho, which they've been playing up, which I think is great. Because people are saying that the match uh, coming up on Full Gear had no heat, yet there's actually a story behind it. And as much as AEW has done a lot of background stuff, at least in my opinion, following BTE and the countdown shows, um, they are also expecting the smart fans to have some familiarity with folks just from being in the indies or being from Japan. So they don't always fill in the stories because I think they want you to actually put in some of the work yourself, if that makes any sense, because all this information is out there. So why not use it? I mean, the Young Bucks built an empire with social media. So it makes perfect sense that, you know, this is a generation that's in tune to it. You know, I am I am 45 years old, and I was the, the first generation where we were getting internet for the first time in the home. Uh, this is in the, the early 90s. Um, so now it's just much more pervasive. But I think that, you know, what they've done with it, they have built AEW. The bones of e AEW were established in doing video logs and, and their website and the Young Bucks merch. It's really brilliant. So go and look at some of this stuff, um, Riho stuff over over in Japan. So I think, was she in sh uh, Stardom? Um, or was it Shimmer? I, I forget which one, uh, but she definitely had a, a long-term feud with Emmy. But this is probably the best worked women's match by and large, um, with the exception of last week. So I didn't do the pod last week, but Riho and Shana, excellent, excellent, excellent match. Um, 
really going out there and demonstrating that the women's division does have a foundation and they're just going to get better. So that was really good to see. Fun match, but I do think it went on a bit too long. So next up, we've got an interesting matchup. It was Brand Cutler versus Sean Spears. What I think is so interesting about this is that from a, a size perspective, here's two big guys. I think it was a good tail of the tape uh, with Sean Spears outweighing you know, Brand because I think that he's just a little bit thicker, um, more muscle. So he has that kind of weight advantage and that grounded, pounding kind of style that he does. Whereas Brand Cutler, for his size, is obviously a mixture of high-flying and doesn't really play much of a power game, which I actually think that for his size... Like guys like him and Angelico, where they're these these taller guys with these slender builds, I think it's great that they can do all the moves that that much smaller men can do. And I'm not saying that they're they're massive either, but I don't know. It takes me out of it a little bit. Right now, Brand Cutler is um, milk toast, uh, just mealy. Ah, I don't know. No personality. Everyone likes him. I like him. I'd love to see him get some wins. Right now, he just has no personality. Now, mind you, he was out of the business for a while, getting back into it, and he does other things. I think it was good for him to be in the ring with a guy like Sean Spears, who is, as we all know, is a good hand. And those kind of things are great for guys like Cutler because they get exposed to guys who are better than him. And he's only going to improve, but the personality, it's just not there. And I think that's part of the story, too. It's almost like that's part of the, the thing, is that he's just kind of um, plain. And the things that he's interested in are kind of nerdy, geeky culture stuff in the cosplay. And I, I think that's endearing, and I think that he is an appreciated babyface. But ultimately, I don't know how much he's connecting with the crowd. It was a solid match. Nothing, in my opinion, that was too crazy or of note. But then it turns into a beatdown. So here you have the you know Sean Spears going uh, into business for himself, and all of this is done for Joey Janela to come out and make the save. Now I will say that my uh, my kid says to me, um, I think it was my 11 year old. Um, no, it might have been my 14 year old. Anyway, one of, one of my kids they say Joey Janela, he's like the face of this company. And I just, I popped for that because they've really built Joey Janela as a major star in AEW. And the fact that my, my kid was able to just recognize that and say, you know what? Joey's everywhere. Everyone kind of loves him. He's raised his game for as a wrestler. I mean, right now, Joey Janela, I can't say enough good things. I've said it on the last couple of pods, too. Um, you can go back and, and hear those. Um uh, once I saw, I, so I was in Boston. I saw that dark match with with Joey Janela and and Kenny Omega, and I, I I'm I'm still continuing to be amazed and impressed with the quality of his work, and he just has plenty of upside. Got to work on that physique, because if he works on that physique, huge, huge star. I, I do think physique matters. I know that's like not the the kind of concept in in you know the indie world. Aesthetics do matter, and uh, I think that's probably the only thing that could potentially hold him back as he builds the character and he builds his uh, in-ring work. So then we got a nice video package for Box and Omega. 
You know, I, I saw a couple of things on on Twitter where people were saying that that Kenny can't handle his his side of the the promo and that he hasn't done enough to promote this match other than when it was first announced that Mox was out of their original match at, at All Out. I kind of disagree. I, I think that he has put in the work, and a lot of it has been at the live events or at you know the AEW Dynamite, where he's come out at different points, or they've mixed it up, uh, whether in in the tag matches or interrupting other matches. So I think that it's been been going along quite well. I do know that Mox has been carrying the bulk of the the heavy promo work, but that's really what he's best at. Whereas Kenny really has that physicality. I'm really looking forward to this this match, probably more than any other, because I'm curious to see. I'm curious to see. I know this sounds so ridiculous, but I'm curious to see how how the ranking, or the the rating, ends up coming out on this, because Mox obviously had a five star match with Ishii uh, in New Japan, which I thought was tremendous, tremendous, very different style. So he's been able to work there, and that was part of the story. That was part of the story that they were telling, and and Kenny was telling this. Hey Moxley, I understand that you went to New Japan so that you can learn how I work, which is great. And he did. He could hold his own, mind you. Screwed up his his elbow uh, during that tour of New Japan, um, and I think maybe a lot of that was was coming off, you know, being in the G1. Nevertheless, this could be a really really great match, and I'm hoping that it rises to that level because I would love to see these two guys together have a great high-rated match. Not that rankings matter or the ratings matter. I don't know. It's just kind of fun. It's a fun part of the business. So not going to hate on Meltzer. Which leads us to the main event of the night. It is Hangman, Adam Page, and Kenny Omega versus the Inner Circles, Sammy Guevara, and Chris Jericho. I just want to say that Sammy Guevara, gimmick infringement, Prince Pretty, coming out and having the uh, you know the selfie going up onto the, the screen there. Hey, come on now. That's that's some gimmick infringement. At least go ahead and give a wink and a, a, wink and a nod to it. Um, but nevertheless, it was pretty funny, and they're they're trying to do more things to to put Sammy over as a as a big star, which they're certainly building him to be as part of the inner circle with Chris Jericho. So they all uh, they get in the ring, and it looks as though um, you know Sammy is going to lock up with Kenny, and Kenny's like, no man, I want I want Chris Jericho. So Jericho tags in, teases that they're going to go ahead and lock up, tags himself out, and sends Sammy back in. Just such heel move. Basic heel 101. If anyone does not realize why Jericho is who he is and why he may just be the GOAT, greatest of all time, is because he can wrestle basic wrestling psychology. He knows that he is 48 years old. I think he's 49 as of yesterday or today. He knows where he is physically. He knows what he can and can't do. He knows his limitations. But great wrestling? One, it could be all Gaga, right? So for those of you who don't know who Gaga, what Gaga is, uh, go ahead and take a look at the Hulk Hogan rock match. That was all Gaga. 
all it was was playing with the crowd playing to the crowd what they're, they're wanting to happen how right at the beginning of the match the anticipation was the rock was the baby face hollywood hogan was the heel but through the natural course of events how the crowd perceived hogan how the crowd perceived the rock they went ahead called it in the ring and they just played off the emotion of the crowd and what the crowd was telling them they wanted and they wanted hogan as the baby face it was just so odd now they basically still wrestled the match the way that they had but they were working the crowd take a guy like rick flair rick flair as he got older people will say that his his matches were somewhat scripted that you always kind of got the same thing but not necessarily it was the order of things when they happened how they happened and how sometimes it was a matter of the simplest thing so all jericho had to do to generate heat from the crowd was act like yeah okay fine I'll, I'll tag in i'll lock up with kenny i'm a tough guy only to immediately do the chicken shit heel thing and tag himself right back out it's simple it's wrestling 101 and it still works provided that you're actually putting in the effort to establish baby faces and heels now i know that cody said early on that it, that's not really a thing anymore it's not a thing in the fact that like i just mentioned with the rock and hogan is that you can be in a particular market where one guy is more over as a baby face more over as a heel and you can wrestle to that style you can tailor it to that particular crowd or going back to bret hart being a baby face in canada and a heel in the states there are things that you could do with it where you can work with the shades of gray but ultimately i think you have to have people that you're rooting for and people that you're rooting against jericho can still get cheered but then instantly turn around and get the crowd to hate him again and that's a skill now part of it is that the crowd wants to play along they want to look at jericho as the heel so we boo but he also says the right things at the right time and knows how to hit the emotional buttons to go ahead and hit the things that you know people are going to pop for positively or negatively anyway the match itself i mean it was just a a solid straight up match and I think part of it uh, is to, to showcase what it is that, that Sammy Guevara can do. Because Sammy really is a great athlete. He's still learning how to tell stories in the ring. He's still learning how to put some of the things together, I think, psychologically. So having him in there with guys of this quality, of this caliber, just working with Chris Jericho. I mean, just working with Jericho is going to make him a better worker. Because they can go ahead, be in the ring and he can watch what he's doing he can watch what he's doing and learn from it and i'm sure there are times that jericho is pulling him aside and saying okay hey look uh you should do this here you should do that there uh, just telling him where to put these pieces in so that the story makes sense and i think you're going to see an even bigger superstar out of this guy um you know i guess one of the things that is well, it goes more into the predictions piece, and that's some of the stuff that have been, uh, some of the things that have been happening over on, on BTE, but let's just finish up this match real quick, and, and we'll get to that. Um, so, uh, Jericho wins again with the Judas effect on Hangman Page. I mean, it's just amazing, but Jericho has this killer record, and he has this move that is completely over at this point. And it's a simple move, but when you look at MMA, it's a devastating move. It's a real move. And he once again wins. So you have a champion 
who at this point has one of the best records on the roster. And I think that's a, a testament to the work that he's doing and the style in which he's doing it and the fact that he can get in there with, with guys of any age, of any talent level, and, and work it the right way. Still kind of surprised that right before the pay-per-view, you didn't have an opportunity for you know the baby faces to go over, but it looks like the you know the inner circle is going to be the dominant force. Because you figured that that Sammy could eat a loss, so that the inner circle loses. Jericho has that blemish on his record, but Sammy's the one who eats the pinfall. But that's not what they did. So it just goes to show how much energy they're they're putting forward. So as is often the case. Uh, and this is where it's it's interesting how AEW has this mixture of old NWA and some have said WCW, but also Attitude Era stuff. Where every episode, whether it was a go home show before a pay per view, or if it was just setting up the next show, episodic TV, as they say. And back in the day for Attitude Era, it would be Raw would be setting up for SmackDown, and SmackDown would either be setting up for the pay per view or for the next Raw. You always had to end on something. You always had to end on a, a cliffhanger of some sort. Now, what was odd is Attitude Era, both WCW and WWF, were they would be even ending their pay-per-views on cliffhangers to then set up the Raw or their Nitro because cable ratings mattered so much, right? So your pay-per-view wouldn't even necessarily be the blow-off of a, of a big feud. You would have that maybe on the Monday. But this turned into a complete and utter chaotic brawl. Uh, you you had the, the Bucks come out and Proud and Powerful come out. You got Hager out there. You, you, then you got you got Kenny and you got Moxley. They're fighting, but then they have to fight off the, the you know a couple of the other guys together before turning back on each other. You got MJF coming out and just being this huge babyface, which is ridiculous because he's like the second biggest heel in the company. It's like you have Jericho and you have MGF, pure heels, yet this is where you have that whole interesting shades of gray of MJF. And of course, the immediate, I guess, supposition is that MJF is going to go ahead and turn at some point. Um, before we get to that, uh, you also have a, a um, as I put it, uh, I, I tweeted, Nick Jackson jumping off of stuff. Uh, and someone had responded, I would watch that show. Um yeah, me too. But this is, you know, Nick climbs up off uh, one of the, the, the entrance tunnels and, and jumps off into everyone. Jericho has this comical, stumbling, falling bump into the cameraman. Just really great, great stuff to go off the air, setting up for full gear. So now, let's get into the predictions for what's coming up tonight. So uh, this is being recorded on Saturday is being recorded on Saturday, November 9th. Later on tonight will be Full Gear, and I'm hoping to go ahead and get another podcast dropped either after the event tonight or sometime tomorrow. But let's get into the predictions. So I'm looking at the full match card for Full Gear. I think that the way that they have reported it is probably going to be loosely probably the order of the card. You never know. They sometimes mix it up. But your first match is Joey Janela versus Sean Spears. There's not a lot of build-up to it, but like I said, you know, each and every match matters. I think it's somewhat of a clash of styles, which is kind of the point. And looking at records, 
I mean, both of these guys, I think, have losing records. Um, of course, I can go ahead and, and check that as we're doing this. Um, but I'm trying to figure out who needs it more and whether this is going to be building to a longer-term story or if this is just kind of a throwaway throw pay-per-view match. Now, mind you, again, rankings matter, so it's never a throwaway. Wins and losses matter. But let's take a look at these records here. So we have uh, Joey Janela is currently a 2-3 and three overall. So in singles, he is 1 for 2. So losing record there. His only wins, uh, his only other win is in a tag match. And then Sean Spears is currently sitting at a 3-2 uh, and two overall record. So I'm just going to say, based upon records, Joey Janela goes over, and it continues to build him as a legitimate wrestling superstar. So there's probably going to be some shenanigans by Tully Blanchard, but ultimately in the end, Joey Janela pulls it off in a fun starting match. It'll probably be the one to kick off the show. The next match is the three-way for the AEW World Tag Team Championship. Now, I'm of the opinion that there's no way that you're going to have SCU win it at the end of the tournament only to lose it right away. But what I don't know is, and by all means hit me up on Twitter, are they going to do it as an elimination match or is it first pinfall wins? Because obviously this could have a, a bearing on how I would do the prediction. Because if it's a matter that first pin wins you do have some unpredictability there. If it's elimination, I would I would think that, you know, private party would go out first unless just for the shock value you would end up, you know, booting out the Lucha Brothers. But I think regardless, it's going to be a, a kind of a high-flying match. I think that once again, Scorpio Sky is going to be the, the MVP of the match. It's going to be interesting to, to see how all three teams are working together. And I'm going to say that SCU retains because they're not ready to get the titles off of them just yet. And plus, at some point, Christopher Daniels is going to come back, and the question I have is, is it going to be competing, uh, are they going to be competing under Freebird rules? Next, we have Hangman Adam Page versus Pac. Now, we're going to be talking a little bit about Hangman in a, in a couple of different ways in, in the podcast for predictions, because they've been telling some interesting stories with Hangman, and his relationship with the elite. But right for for the this match's purposes, this is a rematch. And it was a rematch where it was a surprise for everyone because Pac pretty much decisively beat Hangman. And Hangman's been really positioned initially as being one of the top baby faces and a member of the elite. So a real superstar who is making his transition onto the national stage having really only been featured in Ring of Honor in New Japan. This is a tough one because I don't think that AEW has been particularly interested in 50-50 booking. So my gut is telling me that the story of Hangman beginning to unravel as the losses build leads me to believe that Paige is going to lose once again. So my prediction for the match is Pac is going to go over on Hangman Adam Page. Continuing the descent 
into madness and perhaps a heel turn from Hangman Adam Page. Next, we have the Young Bucks versus Proud and Powerful. As much as they're doing the, the storytelling build for the Elite versus the Inner Circle, which, by the way, let's go back to that, that Cody promo, that Rhodes-level promo. He mentioned the Match Beyond, which is another name for War Games. And Dave Meltzer had tweeted that Cody owns the trademark on the Match Beyond, while the WWE purchased the trademark from War Games from MLW. <coughs> Excuse me. So uh, I think that this is obviously going to build to what I'm assuming is going to be a five-on-five uh, match beyond. They'll call it the match beyond. Nevertheless, Proud and Powerful are brand new into the company. LAX, as they were known. I don't think there's any way that it would make sense from a storytelling perspective for Proud and Powerful to lose. So my prediction for this match, pretty straightforward, is going to be Proud and Powerful go over the Young Bucks. Plus the Young Bucks, does their win and loss really matter? Probably not. They're pretty bulletproof. So they have a, well, what? They have the third best record in the tag team division. Proud and Powerful goes over. It builds that story and will build to uh, probably a match beyond. Next, you have Riho, the women's champion versus Emi Sakura. This is a long-term storytelling piece from their time in Japan together. Both, I think, as tag team. They were a tag team uh, in Japan at one point. Uh, I, I don't know. This is a tough one. It just seems like Riho is also pretty bulletproof right now, where she has the overall best record of any of the women in the division. She is the champ, and she is a beloved babyface at this point. So I think this is pretty straightforward. I'm putting Riho going over Emi Sakura in probably what is going to be one of, in my opinion, um, probably a longer match than we've gotten from the women before. At least I, I'm, I'm expecting that to be the case. I don't think it's going to be a you know five to eight minute match. I think we're probably going to be looking at 10 to 15 minutes. Next, we have what is the long-awaited John Moxley versus Kenny Omega match that was supposed to happen at All Out that didn't happen because of Moxley's elbow injury. This has now been called a lights out match, which is what caused Moxley to say he's unsanctionable and that they don't want to go ahead and give him matches that actually count towards the standings. It's also being positioned a little bit as, hey, AEW as an organization, you guys are all EVPs and you're going ahead and making it difficult for me to climb in the standings against your boy, Kenny Omega, also an EVP. So it's an interesting side story there that I like. But a lights out match, this is a tough one because again, what are they building to? What are they leading to? And by having a lights out match and an unsanctioned match, this is obviously playing to the strengths of John Moxley. I don't know how you can have a guy who is as hot and as over as Moxley is right now not get the win in his style match. But at the same time, I think they're trying to build different elements of Kenny Omega's character too. And certainly, Kenny was not afraid to get into the occasional unsanctioned match in New Japan either. He's never really been much of a garbage match wrestler though. Yeah, he did uh, some table and ladder spots and stuff like that. Uh, you know, definitely in his match with Jericho, they did some some obviously shenanigans in that one. But I don't know. This is a really tough one for me. 
But because it doesn't matter in the standings, Mox goes over. So as he says, he gets a win, and it doesn't count in the win column. So Moxley over Kenny Omega in a violent, brutal, bloody affair. Finally, Le Champion, Chris Jericho versus Cody for the AEW world title in a match that includes judging in the event that it goes to a time limit draw. Now, I'm assuming that they're going to make this a 60-minute time limit draw. Because I can't imagine it would be anything shorter. Nevertheless, Cody has made the stipulation that if he doesn't beat Jericho, he never competes for the title again. That seems absurd. So he's going to win, right? Well, it's not absurd. Because again, mentioned the secondary title that's going to be announced at some point. I'm hoping it's a TV title, to be perfectly honest, just because of the, the love for the old NWA, you know, title belt. And then and any of you remember, just that's one of Austin's favorite belts, too. And that's how I really, well, I can't say that. I actually found out about, about Austin when he was wrestling in World Class because they were playing that on, on ESPN at the time. So I saw him in his rookie year where he won Rookie of the Year um, and that, that feud that he had with Chris Adams. But nevertheless, that uh, NWA and eventually World Championship Wrestling TV title belt was just a, a work of art. It was a beauty. Uh, I actually really like Ring of Honor's uh, TV belt that they've had most recently. Um, the last couple of TV belts I actually really liked. Nevertheless, I'm hoping that's the case. But everyone is making the supposition that MJF finally goes heel and betrays Cody and costs him the belt and even potentially joins the inner circle. Now, I know that MJF is in a stable in MLW, but I don't think he's going to affiliate himself with anyone else if it's not Cody. I think he's going to go off on his own. I'm better than you, blah, blah, blah. But I don't think that's going to happen yet. I think they're really locking into the fact that the only time MJF's a babyface is when it comes to Cody. And I think that's going to hold. I don't think they're going to have the heel turn. Now, I could be completely wrong. But it seems as though they've been telegraphing that forever and ever that obviously the heel MJF is going to, you know, turn his back on Cody. This is where it comes back to some subtleties that are happening in the Hangman Page character. He hasn't had many wins in AEW. He's had some pretty big profile losses, as a matter of fact. And what continues to happen is on being the elite, he's having these really interesting conversations with other guys in the elite. So, for example, well, actually, so he's 4-4. Four four. He's, he's at a 500 record, 3-2 in singles, 1-1 one one tag team. Uh, the, actually, they don't have everything here because the numbers obviously don't match there because uh, what I just said was... Uh, so I think... Yeah, so he took the loss against the inner circle in the match the, uh, for the, the main event of Dynamite. So he is at... Four and four, so it's three and two in singles, one and two in tag team. But he didn't get to be the world champion. I think that he had desired to be the first ever AEW world champion. That goes back to the press conference 
for AEW and that initial announcement where it became full gear, right? Where Pac came out and challenged him because Hangman said, I will be the first AEW world champion. But he had that weird interaction with Kenny a couple of weeks ago on BTE. And then this last week on BTE, he has a conversation in the hallway with Cody where Cody asks him the question, are you with us, Hangman? We're the elite, man. We got you. You're part of us. We're a team. And Hangman's like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally, man. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So remember, Hangman Page does not have the best character. You're going to say, huh? What do you mean by that? He did attempt to murder Joey Ryan with a boot. Nevertheless, I think that Full Gear, the pay-per-view named for his challenge, the Full Gear Challenge, Hangman Adam Page costs Cody his one and only shot at the AEW World Championship. I do not think that Page joins the inner circle, though. I'm not sure what's going to happen to Hangman. Maybe he starts his own stable. But what I believe is that tonight is the night that Hangman turns against the elite and becomes a heel, keeping Cody from his opportunity, his one opportunity, his own stipulation, to challenge for the title. Which would, I think, lead to a tournament that they're probably going to do for whatever that secondary title is, maybe the TV title, which will end up in a finals of Cody versus Hangman. Now, if I'm at all right about this, not that I think anyone other than, and to those of you, I have, I have 12 consistent listeners. I don't think that anyone in AEW is listening to this podcast. But if this doesn't happen, it's because they changed the story and I was right from the very beginning and they didn't want to give it away. And I'm going to stick with that. It's my own little heel turn. So, tonight, we have Full Gear. I'm super excited for another pay-per-view. But I am wondering if there's going to come a time where they're maybe going to have, and let's use some sports parlance, right? Since they're presenting it as a, a sports-type product. I'd love to get a season pass. Obviously, I think like many wrestling fans, I have the network, WWE Network. That gives me all the pay-per-views. I don't have to pay anything extra. So if I want to watch something, not want to watch something, completely my call. Really, I have it for the archives and some of the secondary shows. Um, and for the longest time, it was for things like NXT. But I'd really love to have a season pass instead of having to pay 30 40 50 bucks a pop for each one of the pay-per-views. Now, mind you, I'm not sure how many they're going to have. I'm assuming they're going to have maybe four big shows. What I'd really love to know is what those shows are, are going to be and if they're going to have a significant change in the title of the, the main event. And what I mean by that is their, their main tentpole event, which has been all in, then all out. What's the anniversary show going to be called? The one that's done every year in September. So this brings us to a close of another Wednesday Night Wrestling. I hope you would enjoyed the show. I'm sorry for those who are my loyal listeners for not having dropped a podcast in a couple of weeks. I got kids, man, Seath Slater would say, and sometimes it just gets real busy. 
not to mention having a full-time job. But I am hoping that I'm going to get another pod dropped based upon full gear. Let's see if those predict, uh, predictions are correct. And I'm going to post my predictions over on uh, Twitter. Love to get your thoughts on that and see um, how accurate I am in my predictions. So until next week, well, I was going to say I must bid you adieu. I guess that's also copyright infringement. Guess what it comes down to is, hey, thanks for listening. I appreciate support. Please follow me over on Twitter and please like, subscribe, all that good stuff. I appreciate it. Talk to you all next week.